Wow. How many of you thank God you attend a church that loves to worship God, amen? Oh, that is just so good. I appreciate Aaron and his team and all of you that are here. And how many of you know if you weren't worshiping, it wouldn't work, right? Isn't it a privilege to worship God? It's an honor to get to bring the word to you today as well, tonight. And um, I, I've gotten to speak in a lot of places through the years. I'm, I'm getting to be an old man. But I tell you, there's no more favorite place for me to speak than Generation Church in Mesa, Arizona. Don't you love your church? Amen. And uh, so glad just for the honor to, uh, to come to you tonight. I'll begin with a story I shared in the chapel. By the, by the way, my name is Jeff Peterson. I'm here in the Mesa Chapel on a Sunday mornings and uh, love the people. It's just a privilege to be a part of, of the team here and to work under Pastors uh, Ryan and Pastor Amy. Don't we have incredible leadership here, Generation? Amen. Amen. But recently in the chapel, I told a story that I... Uh, it's been now about 13 years ago. We transitioned to a church in, in Missouri and uh, culture was different. Church culture was different. Everything was so different. And I'm laying in bed on a Sunday morning and it was about my second or third week. My wife wasn't even there with me yet. We were renting this little house and uh, just for like a month to a month time until we got settled. And I'm, I was laying there and it was Sunday morning, man, ready to go into two services and another one that night, just like this. And, and I laid there and I, I just thought, I am not in my rhythm. You know what I'm talking about? You know, just, 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 I'm kind of a structured guy. Nothing felt right. Didn't feel at home and the whole thing. And, and so I, I was laying there and thinking about it. Well, in the nine o'clock service, the executive pastor next to me, Mike leaned over to me and said, hey, hey, pastor, how you doing? And I said, oh, I'm doing good. And then I kind of leaned back and I said, you know, I'm just not in my rhythm. And he was like, ah, oh, no, I, I get that. So nine o'clock service goes, 10.30 service comes up and I get up to speak and my mind is kind of, for some reason that was on my mind and my thoughts and I, I, I said the following, and this is a lesson in communication. All right, how many of you want to learn something tonight? From the word, but also communication. Okay. It, it, I, I said the following. I said, you know, I was, I was laying in bed this morning, and I paused. Don't pause. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't pause. Don't pause. Because right. it came out like this. I, I was laying in bed this morning, and I, I leaned over to Pastor Mike, and I said, man, I am not in my rhythm. Some of you caught that. It was brutal. Right. His phone was just lighting up for the next 10 minutes, he said, and, and uh, I didn't even know what I'd said. I went through my whole message and then later found out what I'd said. Lesson in communication. Keep going with your thoughts, okay? And that's really what we're going to do tonight because last week, Pastor Ryan did such a phenomenal job with the first commandment. And if you move into the second commandment of, of the Ten Commandments, you realize they really flow together quite well. So we're just going to, how many feel good about keeping on going tonight? All right. That's what we're going to do. You see, life is an interesting uh, journey for all of us. And in one sense, it is identical for every single one of us here tonight. We start life with absolutely Nothing, tangibly speaking. We arrive here naked. We don't have anything in our hand. We don't have anything on our bodies. We can't say we own anything. We come here with nothing. And in the end of life, at that moment when this life is over for us, we will leave life, all intensive purposes, with absolutely nothing. Naked again. Nothing in our hands, nothing on our bodies, nothing we can say is mine or ours. But between here and there, between the beginning and the end of life, however long it is for any of us here, we accumulate a lot of things. You ever think about that? 
Matter of fact, when we pause and, and recognize really all of us here, and many of us probably experience this, but we start accumulating things even while we're in the womb. It's called showers. How I many you know what a shower is, right? And we get showered with gifts. We haven't done anything. We haven't even arrived yet, right? But when we arrive, they're showered. Now, showers used to be in my day a thing that the women went to. And then I heard rumors recently that it's changed. God forbid that at Generation Church. That's all I have to say, right? Come on, guys, let's not attend showers. Could I hear any man tonight? All right, all right, good, good, good. We're on. But by the time most of us finally do arrive on earth, we already have a room set up for us, a bassinet or a bed that we live in, cuddly clothes we're dressed in, blankets that we're warmed in, pacifiers we're soothed by, little squeezy noisemakers and toys, even a mobile above our heads in the crib that we're entertained by. We arrive in life and things are piled onto us immediately and it's that way for the rest of our lives. The next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, if you get to live 90 years, you just keep acquiring and accumulating things. My dad is 89 and a half. How many know we add the half when you're 89, all right? He deserves that. 89 and a half. They sit right over here on this side every Sunday morning, nine o'clock service. They love Generation Church. And he's the guy every Christmas and every birthday, July 14th, we say he's the guy that has everything. And guess what he does? He has an Amazon list ready of gifts that he wants every single year, even at 89 years of age. And my mom says, oh, he just wants another gadget. Well, you know what? I'm going to gadget him for the rest of his life. You know, it feels great. And, and things change in the seasons of our life. But then we come again to when we leave this earth. And again, everything that we've acquired will be gone. Paul said to Timothy it this way. You brought no thing into this world and you will take no thing out of this world. Now that's a really discouraging thought. We could close there and say that's the most depressing sermon I've ever heard in my whole life, I realize. But this is an undergirding thought to the second commandment of the 10 commandments today. Weeks ago, Pastor Ryan launched a series on Exodus. Haven't you enjoyed it? Hadn't it been great? And really last week was almost like a, a subtitle or a sub-series within the series because now we're beginning into these 10 commandments and commandment number one says this, verse number two, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. And if you missed Pastor Ryan's message last week, be sure to get online and, and on the app and listen to it this week. Awesome message. Today's commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Wow, not only a commandment but a promise. And it's kind of a two-edged promise, isn't it? How many of you know some promises aren't, aren't so great? I kind of grew up with this one. Wait till your dad gets home. All right? And that was a promise. And it always came through. Right? But then you have good promises like this. Hey, kids, this summer, we're going to go to Disneyland. Disneyland. You better believe it. It's a good promise for the kids, not for the parents. But it's very expensive, I might say. 
But God makes two promises here, and don't miss either of them. The command again, you shall not make for yourself an idol of anything from heaven above, earth beneath, and and, and the waters below, right? And then comes the promise, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now understand, and Pastor Ryan has already underscored this in this series, But these Israelites are coming out of Egypt. They have spent 400 years. They don't know who God is. They know the gods, the pagan gods, the Egyptian gods. But here comes the God of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're just discovering who this God is. And so you will see in the unveiling of the Exodus, even the Ten Commandments and and the law, the rest of the Mosaic law, it is not only letting them know who they're to be, how they're to behave, but it's also revealing who God is to them. And our God is a jealous God. He opens up saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I'm the God back there with the plagues and the Passover and the Red Sea. He's reminding them who he is. And then he says, but I'm also a jealous God. Let me just say, if you choose to hate God, as we read here, life's gonna be really difficult for you. Matter of fact, the way it reads again is, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and and keep my commandments. See, if we choose to take a path away from God, life is not only hard for us, but as a pastor for a lot of years, I've sadly observed how I'm recognizing it's the sins of the fathers being visited upon these children. And it's really heartbreaking. And and it's painful at times. But also you see the contrast here, and don't miss this. It's the heart of God. He will punish to the third and fourth generation, but he will love and bless and reward to a thousand generations those that love him and those that obey his commandments. Isn't that awesome? Three to four generations to a thousand. How many take the thousand, huh? See, we live that right here at Generation Church. And I, and I love this because I've observed and I've known our, our pastors for a, a lot of years and my kids kind of grew up just right, right along with them years ago. And I recognize that pastors Ryan and, and Amy, that they are a reflection of the blessing of God that's been passed down to them through their parents that served God, through grandparents that served God. And if you love God, you are leaving a legacy and you are blessing generations to come if Jesus tarries. Amen. Love God and obey him. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And see, the sense here is if we choose our own way, a lot of times we don't couch it this way, but this is how obedience works with God. If we choose to go our own way, we say, God, but yeah, but I can buy these three, but I'm not gonna do these three. I'm gonna go my own way. He sees that as hating him because he's God and he's worthy of your obedience, of honoring him with your life. And the opposite of that, as Jesus said, is when we love him, he, we obey him. And what does he do? But he loves us back, and it ends up being for generations to come, the blessing that unfolds. There are parents here tonight, grandparents here. How many of you want to leave a legacy that your children are going to be blessed? Amen. We sing that song, The Blessing, to a thousand generations. That, that's, that's not just made up in a songwriter's mind. That is the word of God for those that love God and obey his commandments. So some of you, when you look at the second commandment, you say, well, you know, some of the other ones bother me a little bit, but this one, I don't have any idols in my house. So I'm good. I'm not going to worry about this commandment. 
Great, let's talk about that tonight just a little bit, all right? I want you to think about Romans chapter one. Matter of fact, when I, when I was couching this message tonight, I, I thought about two main passages that really help us with idolatry. One is in Isaiah 40, and we will just kind of nibble at that near the close tonight. But the other was here in Romans chapter one. And I really just want to break this message down into two parts. It'll be easy for you to remember. Number one is the issue of idolatry. To get to the heart of what idolatry looks like and can look like in our lives. And second, to avoid it, to protect ourselves and our children and our grandchildren from the results of it. So let me just say up front tonight, at the heart of idolatry is the reality that God is God and things are things. Say that with me tonight. God is God. Things are things. Say it again. God is God and things are things. Now, do we understand that? And before we say yes, before we say, I've got this down, let's take a look at God's word in our lives. Psalm, uh, Romans chapter one, the apostle Paul takes us really to the top of a mountain and he gives us a vista of all of humanity. He takes us all about, you're looking at world history. As we look at this, you realize this has always been this way. It is still this way. It is a, a staggering look. And then we can take it to Exodus 20 and realize why God made this the second commandment after have no other gods before me. Pick it up in Romans 1, verse number 18. But God shows his anger. A lot of translations, God's wrath is being revealed. He shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now for some of us, that doesn't sit well with us. And we want to argue with God. How many know you don't argue with God? Well, you can, you're never going to win. All right. Because he's God. And it's true. We look at the Apostle Paul. If you want to understand the gospel, if you want to understand the new covenant in Jesus, the cross, all the, the ramifications for our lives, for eternity, Paul is your man. And Romans, of all the books that he wrote over half the New Testament, it is the book that helps us the most to understand the important aspects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And according to Paul in Romans, at the very start, he says, men are without excuse before God. Because from the beginning, they have seen the earth and the sky. We're talking Adam and Eve. We're talking through Genesis. We're talking now into the Exodus that we're in right now. The entire history of the Old Testament. The Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Parasites. All of them in the Old Testament. They all saw the earth and they saw the sky. The moon, the stars, the mountains, the valleys the canyons, the red rocks. And to take it from Exodus 20, this commandment on idolatry, they saw everything in heaven above, in the earth beneath, and in the waters below. They saw all of this. And Paul says, even true of us tonight, is that through these things, we are seeing, they saw clearly, look at it, God's invisible qualities. What a statement. Through the visible, we see the invisible qualities of God, his eternal power and his divine nature so that we, so they are without excuse 
to not know God. Reading further Romans 1, yes, next verse, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. 2023 AD, could you hear any man? That's today. Thinking they're wiser than God, they become fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Here you have it, that's, that's idolatry. See those very things, say that word with me, things. The very things that God created are the things that they shaped their idols after and they would bow down and worship them. So let's read on, verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Hear me tonight, you don't want God to abandon you. If we lose God, he lets go of us, we are really in serious trouble. And that's what God has done throughout history. He'll sit back. So many times I've sat with people and they wanna argue with God and they wanna blame God and hear me. God is a God that gives you and I free will tonight to live our lives. We're not robots, you're free will, free agent tonight. And so God will abandon and he sets back to let them do the shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, Paul says, amen. This has been the problem since the beginning. From the beginning, he says, everyone has seen the earth and the sky. Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command. And what happened? Sin began to ravage them and begin to ravage their children. We have Cain and Abel in the next, the first murder recorded in scripture. And I might say right here, it is a great thing. Just read through the Bible, all of you. Read through God's word. Read Genesis, read Exodus. Exodus. Uh, struggle through Leviticus. And then get to Numbers, and then enjoy Numbers and Deuteronomy. And it's, it's really cool that in Genesis we see that in the midst of all this sin, right after the fall it says, at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. I like that because sinful fallen man, early in scripture, began to still call out. They wanted to get a hold of God. They wanted the Lord God in their lives. Did they hang on to him? Well, no. Because we read just a little bit further, chapter six, God saw how great man's wickedness was and how the earth had become so wicked and that every inclination of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time. There's a lot of qualifiers there. Every, only, all. And mankind was in trouble. And it says the Lord God was grieved that he made man on the earth. There's a pattern that emerges in the opening pages of Genesis and it runs all the way through Genesis, all the way through the, the law, all the way in through the history of Israel and all the nations around Israel, all through the Old Testament, all, and it's through to today. It's two things. First of all, immorality. Any form of, 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 of impurity and, and sin naturally is, is just a part. And, it's, and sexual immorality, incredibly so. Matter of fact, years ago, I had our 
our whole church, we were connected with our, our kids' ministry and, and the people were going home and we were reading through the Bible together. We were in January. We were just in, in the book of Genesis and I had one of the young dads come to me and he said, Pastor Jeff, you're killing me. And I said, why? He said, because, man, I'm taking my kids through Genesis. They've got so many questions. Questions about what? About sex. He said, it's full of sex and immorality. And I said, oh, I, I never read that. I'll have to go back and read that, you know. But he was just wigged out over it, you know. But that's the pattern. That's the pattern. And it's not only immorality, but then comes things. Lots of things. Things that keep replacing God over and over again. So we come to chapter 11. Now the world is, is gaining some momentum and man's ingenuity. And they're coming together in unity in one voice. And they say this, hey, hey, let's build a city and let's build a tower to reach heaven. And let's make a name for ourselves. Sounds like Silicon Valley, doesn't it? Let's build a city, let's build a tower, and let's build. See, it's man acquiring, it's ambition, it was things, what he could make with his own hands. Let's get a name, let's worship ourselves, what we can create, rather than the God who created all these things for us. Back to Romans 1, here it is. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies, immorality, and they traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, idolatry. Immorality and idolatry. I won't take time tonight to read it, but you could read through the rest of Romans 1, and you are reading Supreme Court decisions, school board meetings in America today, medical industry decisions and choices of what they're doing, carving up our children in the name of gender identity. Humanity, just depravity of the human mind and soul. You are reading it in Romans chapter one. So welcome to Genesis. Welcome to 2023 AD. And why? What is the issue with us and God? Here it is, one thing. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Remember tonight, God is God and things are things. So Paul says it's all rooted in a lie. They traded the truth about God for a lie. And it's not just a lie. Matter of fact, there is a definite article in the Greek here and that means that Paul really wrote it this way, that they traded the truth about God for the lie. And the lie is let's worship the things he created rather than him as the creator. And Paul even emphasizes it, worshiped and served. It means everything about them. They worshiped, but they gave their heart, their soul, their bodies, everything they could to things that God created rather than God as their creator. Remember, God is God and things are things. The big lie is that of idolatry. So if that's the lie, what's, what's the truth? Here's the truth tonight. God is creator of all things and worthy of your worship and your praise tonight. He made you and me. He made everything that has been made, Colossians 1, John 1, through Jesus, the Son. That he made the earth, he made the plants and the animals and the mountains and the lush valleys he made the heavens, the planets, the stars, the galaxies. He made the seas, the plants, and the sea animals, and he made us. He didn't make monkeys, they were separate. He made them, but they weren't us. He made us. He made male and female in his image and said, you are gonna rule 
You are man and I've created you in my image, the supreme, the highest of my creation. And he wants for man what he wanted for man in the beginning. He wanted Adam and Eve to know him, to walk with him in the garden. He wanted them to enjoy him. He wanted them to know him and to know one another. He wanted marriage. He wanted families. He wanted man to rule and populate and enjoy the earth. And all of a sudden, what we're back to is that God made man and he made all of these things. And the picture of the garden before the fall is an all-powerful, amazing creator and his amazing creation of everything we see and then the crown of his creation, us. And crazy enough, what God wanted was for us to know him, worship him, and still enjoy everything that he created for us. God is God and things are things. So Paul wrote to Timothy. And in, in the, couched in 1 Timothy is just a little section about riches and things. And, and he talks to those, he says, who are rich among you. And let me just say tonight, if we're sitting in this beautiful facility, this new, lovely new building, and we are in the United States of America, can I just tell you, compared to the rest of the world, you are rich. We are wealthy. We're very blessed people, amen? So the word to Paul, to Timothy, is good for us tonight. He says this, put their hope, tells us, put their hope in God who richly provides everything for their enjoyment. See, God's not a killjoy. He gives us things so that we may enjoy them. And in his creation, his real heart is to enjoy them, not worship them, but to enjoy them. But see, idolatry reminds us that God wants us to enjoy, but not worship his creation. Why? Because God is God and things are things. There's a saying that's in the book of Revelation. I grew up, some of you might remember it if you're a little bit older, a song we used to sing in church a lot. It's, it's what the apostle John said he saw when he, when he saw the throne room of heaven, John 4 and 5. And he says there were four living creatures and they each had a different face, an ox, a face of a man, four different images. But then they're, they're, they're covered with six wings, each of them, picture six wings, and eyes are all over all the wings. And it says even under the wings. So it's kind of weird, but like armpit, there's eyes right there, okay? As they flap, they, they lift up those wings in worship and praise. Eyes everywhere. And it says that they never stop saying. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when they begin to do this, John says, he noted there were 24 elders that came off their thrones and they fell to their knees and they took off their crowns and they said this, in heaven, it's happening right now. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will or for your pleasure, they were created and have their being. That is at the heart of worship in heaven. It's God, you are creator. God created the world, the earth a long time ago. They're still singing in heaven. By John's day, when he gets a glimpse of heaven, they are worshiping him. God, you are the creator of everything. And it is for your purpose, it is for your glory, it is for your pleasure that everything was created. That is the truth that they buy into a lie instead of. 
See, we have now in America at least two generations, maybe more, that don't believe this. Hundreds of millions of people do not believe this. Worldwide, we have billions of people that buy into a lie. They do not believe this about the God that we serve. Two and 300 years ago in our schools in America, it's crazy, it's a long time ago, but all the way up through the early 1800s, our children were taught the alphabet through the word of God. It's called the New England Primer. And all the way through, and, and it looks like this, and when you, when you consider it, as they learned A, and I think about my seven grandchildren, oh, I wish that they had the New England Primer in school today. A is in Adam's fall, we send all. How many of you like that to learn the letter A? I like that. How about B? Thy life to mend, this book attend. You could kind of rap with some of these, pretty cool. <laughs> H, the book and heart shall never part. J, Job feels the rod, yet blesses God. K, the Korah, Korah's rebellion. L, the lion of the tribe of Judah. P, Peter denied Jesus. Q, Queen Esther. R, Rachel. S, Samuel. U, Uriah. Z, Zacchaeus. Children learn the word of God. That's how they learn to read and the alphabet. Say, why was it that way? Because in the early colonies, as we go back to that northeastern, which is amazing to think how mind-boggling far we are from this today. But that is the faith that was residing in those that founded our nation. Our founding fathers then, they wrote to the king of, of uh, England and said, hey, we're, we're declaring our independence. And guess what they wrote? They wrote, because we believe all men are created equal. And that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And they wrote in the opening sentence of the Declaration of Independence that they believed in the laws of nature and nature's God. Creation, the creator. It ran in our veins. We were not a perfect society, but we were a society that believed, our leadership believed that God had created everyone that lived in America. Amen. You want to know why we're at the place that we're at right now in culture? We're here today because we ab abandoned the truth about God and we have bought a lie. It's Romans chapter one. It's all about things. It's what we do with, with things. Then we move to the remedy just quickly, Isaiah chapter 40. Oh, I love the, this incredible chapter. Matter of fact, I would encourage you, I, I'm gonna give you an assignment tonight, okay? I would encourage you this week every day to read Romans 1 and Isaiah 40 and just read it. You can read two chapters of the Bible every day for a week, all right? Then you can come back for Pastor Ryan's message next week on the third commandment. But just to cement this thought of idolatry, read Romans 1 and read Isaiah 40. Because the remedy for idolatry is to keep seeing God and things in the right perspective. See, we come to Isaiah 40. What, what's happening in Israel? Israel's ready to be judged big time. And God is beginning to, he's been pouring out his judgment at that point. So Isaiah is one of those prophets that he hears from God. He has this amazing call in Isaiah chapter six and, 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 and the, the Assyrians are about to come in and judge the northern kingdom of Israel and then following them will be the Babylonians and they're gonna come into the southern kingdom into Jerusalem and annihilate and, and break down the wall and the temple and judgment is coming. But Isaiah 40 is like this hope chapter in the midst of it all. And Isaiah says, hey, listen, God says to you, Israel, you have paid for your sins 
and that God is going to bring mercy upon you. Then he says, it is a voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And we're gonna lift up those valleys and we're gonna bring down those mountains and God is going to come into Israel. Some good things are in store for you, Israel. Turn your heart to God. And I love the way it words it. Verses eight and nine, it says that all the voices speaking to Israel from God, all those voices need to go to the top of the mountain and they need to say, verse number 10, here is your God. Here is your God, Israel. Now, why is that? Because they were, as they had done for centuries, many, many Israelites were going to a craftsman saying, hey, I've just got a few bucks here. I can't afford the high dollar. Just give me a chunk of wood, all right? And he would take that wood and then he would try to fashion it into an idol. And Isaiah says, you know, that idol might fall over because it's a chunk of wood. But they would put maybe gold and silver on it, maybe put a chain on it, and they'd bow their knee and they would worship this piece of wood. And Isaiah says, instead of that, Israel, come on. Our God, who's gonna bring his mercy, here is your God. Here is your God. And he describes him this way. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He measures the oceans and the rivers in his hand. He holds the earth's soil in just a basket. He weighs the mountains of the earth on his scales. He stretches out the heavens like a tent. The nations are, are like a drop in a bucket, Isaiah says. The world leaders rise up and there for a while, a despot may rule, but God, when he chooses, he'll just blow over and that person's gone and wiped off of the, of the human history. He says he sits on his throne above the circle of the earth. What a picture. Who then, he says, will you compare? Who will you compare to God? And then Isaiah talks more about that craftsman. And I just want to read a few of the verses. He says, such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed. Talking about a, a chunk of wood or a gold little statue. Their eyes are closed. They can't see. Their mouths are silent. They can't think. The person who made the aisle never stops to reflect why it's, it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread. How can the rest of it be a God? Isn't that a great question? I mean, you're having a, a fire stove and now the other half will make a God and will bow down to it and worship it. The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Is it a lie? Look at America today, any culture. Again, it's, it's, this is Romans 1. Think of what people are clinging to today to bring them happiness, contentment, fulfillment in life. See, I've been there as a pastor I remember walking into a man's house one day and his wife had said, would you please go and visit Bob? Long time ago. And I walked through a house, got past the cars that were amazing in his garage. And I walked through this lovely home right here in East Mesa. And I remember looking at all the golf courses all over the world that he had played. And, and it was his God. 
And uh, I love to play golf and I enjoy it. But for that man, I realized, I walked out with my associate pastor and we, we talked about on the way back to the church, our hearts were broken because I realized Bob was so lost. That was his God. How many of you have seen people bow down to a lot of gods in your life? A lot of idols, a lot of things you just say, do they realize this is a lie? This is empty. This God can't do for you what our God can do for us. So if you want to be clean, he's Jehovah Sidkenu, your righteousness. And if you want to have a sense of, of being separate and holy to God, he is Jehovah Mekadesh, your sanctification. And if you have an emptiness in your soul, he's Jehovah Shalom, he is your peace. And if you feel alone in life, he's Jehovah Shammah, the ever-present God. And if you feel like you wonder, you worry about your future, who's going to provide for you? He is Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider. And if you're sick in body, we just sang it earlier, he's a healing God. He's a healing God. He's a healing God. I have a friend of mine, his dad, just yesterday or day before, I got the news that he had bladder cancer. We've been praying for months. He is completely healed of bladder cancer to God's glory. God is Jehovah Rapha. A buddy of mine has a ministry now to the trailheads all over the U.S. And a friend of his who had done the Appalachian Trail is one of the few that's done all the three major trails in America. He was up on the coast of Oregon going into Washington not long ago. And I saw the YouTube interview. And a young lady was there and she had worn sandals rather than wearing her shoes. And she was there and literally her feet were bloodied. The bottom of her feet were just gone, he said. And she was crying and her team had left her. And this, this, he's a missionary working with my buddy who's a missionary. But they work in the trailheads where, where millions of people go out to worship their God. See, they're worshiping creation, but not the creator of the creation. And so the team had left her and he walked up to her. He said, can I help you? And she was just crying. He said, she was in hysterics. I couldn't go any further. My team has left me. He said, I don't have any first aid kit, but I can pray for you. And at first she was rejecting that. She wanted no part of it. Then she said, I guess. And he took her feet in his hands and prayed. And instantly it was as if new skin just grew all over her feet. Amen. I watched the YouTube. It's awesome. And she reared back and she dropped about four or five F-bombs because she was just freaked out by it. And then she went on to her team and later he came up, found the team or just walking, and they, they, they saw, and she yelled and said, that's the man who healed me. And he goes, no, 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 no. And they're running to him. It's like a gospel scene out of Matthew chapter 18, you know? And he said, no, no, but I prayed, it's Jesus. And he gave them the gospel that Jesus is real and he's still healing today, amen. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. We've had a family need for some time now in the chapel here. I've shared it often and we've been praying every day of my life now for a few weeks now. I have communion first thing in the morning and it's because I'm in crisis mode right now. And I lift my hands like this and Pastor Ryan inspired me in this just several weeks ago when we came to Exodus 17, right? Hands were lifted to the throne in heaven and God won the battle as Aaron and her propped up Moses' hands, Amen. And so every morning, and I've asked my family members to do this over this situation, lift up your hands. And I'm saying, let's pray to Jehovah Nisi that he will be our banner. And while we lift hands to the throne in heaven, God is going to win the battle here on earth for our family. Amen? He's Jehovah Nisi. And to be honest with you, who can you compare your God to? All I can say is this. The Lord is Jehovah Rahi. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. If you feel that you have no, you don't know where you're going in life, listen. He's Jehovah Rahi. Why do you let him shepherd your life? Why do you turn to a God that is alive and real? God is God and things are things. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? Close your eyes. And I, I honestly believe there are many here tonight and you say, Jeff, I, I'm living for things. I understand. It's so easy. <laughs> it's so easy. We all have done that. And even as Christians, we have to be careful. Twice Paul said in the Gospels, Colossians and Ephesians, that greed is idolatry. And we want more, we want more, we want more. We need to want more of God and more of the Lord. And sometimes we really need to evaluate our heart, as I have this week, out of this message on the things and what we're hanging on to in our lives. So I just want to encourage you tonight, if you say, I'm hanging on to things, I'm believing things are going to give me what I want. Instead, you say, I'm ready to turn to God. I'd like for you to pray this prayer with me, if you will. Just kind of pray along with me as I pray this. If you want to turn your heart to God and say, God, I, I, I want to turn to you. I need answers in my life. I need something more than something that might fall over. I can't hang on to things any longer. I need you that made everything. And he'll be there for you tonight. Just pray something like this. Just say, God, I believe in you. I may not have all the answers, but I need you, God. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross and I know that I've sinned. And God, I turn to you and I ask for you to come into my heart and my life. I pray, God, that you will give me what I need in my life that I know things cannot do. I believe, God, you're a good God, a loving God, a God who gives us everything for our enjoyment. God, help me to learn how to live for you to serve you. I open my heart to the living God tonight. Change me, forgive me, cleanse my heart, and I put my faith in your son, Jesus. And I believe you to lead me from this moment forward. I pray it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You prayed that tonight. I'm going to ask you right now just to put up your hand if you did and join several today that did. If you have ushers already, they have a Bible for you. If that's you, just put up your hand right now. If that's you, and they will hand you that Bible as many have today. Praise God. Let's stand together. Let's worship God. Let's worship our God, the creator of heaven and earth tonight. Let's give him praise.